Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. So we're going to conclude our series on uh, what we've called Come Holy Spirit. And we'll probably return to this at some point because it's just such an essential part of what it means for us to be church. And today, what I want to look at is extraordinary prayer. Now, there have been times in my own uh, prayer life where it's been really hard work to pray, but not all the time. Sometimes it's actually really easy to pray. And I was reflecting on that recently. When are the moments when I actually find it really easy to pray? And when is it when I find it really difficult to pray? And the only thing I can work out is the moments when I find it easy to pray are when I'm actually in the presence of God. I don't know if you've had those moments where you just feel like God's presence is so close. And I was reflecting on that and thinking, it's actually those moments when I let God love me, as opposed to coming up with a whole list of all the things. If you've ever had a a small child, there's moments where they're, they're grumbling or they're groaning or they're in pain or they're sick or whatever, and they can be rushing around doing stuff. But when they just let you love them, something changes in them. There's that peace that fills them. And all the stuff that they're dealing with either comes out uh, or doesn't come out, as in you might end up covered in vomit. And um, (laughs) sorry, that was a bit too oblique, that reference. Uh, But sometimes it's just that being in the presence of their mum or dad where the groaning starts to subside. Now, we've already noted that in our series how it's the Holy Spirit who enables us as adopted sons, so those who have uh, access to all that God has, heirs of God's grace and love. um, We get to call God Father, or that close personal name that Jesus used, Abba, Abba Father. In fact, when Jesus taught his followers to pray, he said, when you pray, pray Abba Father. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can pray and live out this prayer. See, Jesus promised that the Father would give us the Holy Spirit if we asked him. And in his commentary, uh, Michael Green says that the Holy Spirit is the supreme object of prayer. So when you're praying, the supreme thing, the supreme object, the supreme person of prayer is the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. In his uh, two-tome account of Jesus and the early church, so Jesus part one, early church part two, Luke points out that when Jesus prayed before his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then later on, as the disciples were praying, waiting for this gift that, that Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit filled them too. There's a relationship between prayer and resting in God's presence and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so for us, without prayer, our life of following Jesus and our life as a church is broken, dysfunctional, and powerless. We have to be a praying people. Praying when it's easy, but also praying when it's hard. And that's 
the challenges. That's the tension. It's like that we want to pray, and we know we should pray, or we need to pray, but we find it really difficult sometimes. Or maybe we don't know what to pray. Maybe your prayer life is static or stale. Maybe prayer seems like a complete waste of time. Maybe your prayer life is limited to those emergency prayers when you need something or you think you need something. It's really when you want something. And prayer seems such hard work. Maybe we don't want to or maybe we just can't be bothered. And so when I say extraordinary prayer, you might think, oh, I can just barely do ordinary prayer. But that's the challenge, isn't it? It's the challenge of what is your prayer life like now and what would it look like just to have a little bit extra, a little bit of extra prayer in your prayer life? Because we need more prayer in our lives. There's a book um, by a guy called Jerry Trousdale, and he comments on, um, if I can just find that quote, on prayer in, there we go, in the global north. And we can learn a lot from the global south in how they pray. And Jerry Trousers is looking at movements and movements of people who are disciples who then go on and make disciples. Then those disciples who go on and make disciples. It's what he calls a disciple-making movement. And we've looked at this quite a few times in the last sort of five years. What does it look like to have a movement of people who are disciples or followers of Jesus being followers and making followers, or being an apprentice and making an apprentices. He says this, he says, the church in the global north does not rely on prayer. And if behavior is any indication, it does not believe in it either. If we are going to see movements in the global north, we will need to see a new ongoing commitment to serious, intense, persistent prayer for God to open heaven, to raise up disciple makers and church planters, to guide us to his people of peace and to empower our work, which is really his work. Without that, there will be no movements and the church will continue its slow, inexorable, it's a good word, uh, decline into irrelevance in global North culture. And so when you look at the church in the global North, there's, there are some issues. I think most of it comes around because we just don't need as much. Jerry Trouser says this, he says, the core element behind any barriers to prayer is this, that we recognize in principle that God can answer prayer, but we do not believe in practice that he does so regularly, if at all. If we did believe in prayer, we would do it more. So if you believed in prayer, if you believed that prayer made a difference, we would do a lot more praying. And sometimes it just feels like we're moaning, that when we're praying, it's just like grumbling and complaining. And it's moaning rather than groaning. So let me just talk about groaning. Um, in Romans 8, uh, Paul's talking about the life in the Spirit. It's one of his, I think it's one of his greatest chapters. It's this long, long chapter. So you've got a Bible, I'm going to turn to Romans 8. And we'll start in verse 22. And the whole of Romans 8 is well worth just pausing at some point today and just reading through and just asking the Holy Spirit, what would he say to you today? In this passage we're going to look at, uh, Paul writes this. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning 
as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Have any of you ever experienced childbirth? I've seen it sort of secondhand. I've not actually experienced it myself. It looked quite painful. Um, that's, that was my, my take on it. But there's a mixture of pain and hope. There's moment where you're going through pain, but at some point it will end, and there is hope that this new child will be born. There's pain and hope. It says, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And so there's this, there's this groaning, there's this painful moment where there's hope, and it's going to, it's, but it's not yet. There's this moment where it's painful and it will end, and there will be hope. As Tom Wright comments, he says, the world is in pain, and the church shares that pain, suffering and the tension between the already of possessing the first fruits of the Spirit and the not yet of our, what he calls our present mortal existence. We're living in this moment where it's painful, but there's hope. This already, but not yet. He goes on to say this, says, the church is not to be a part, a part, as in one word, a part, from the pain of the world, not separate. The church is not to be apart from the pain of the world. Now we discover that God himself does not stand apart from the pain, both of the world and of the church, but comes to dwell in the middle of it in the person and power of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is right there in that painful yet hopeful moment, in that groaning, in that difficult moment. We sang about it earlier, didn't we, in terms of you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus. There was the whole of that song was, was reflecting on the hope of Jesus when actually the world feels difficult and feels painful. Then Paul goes on to say this. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So we might be groaning, we might be in pain, but the Holy Spirit is also groaning. There's this painful yet hopeful moment. Verse 27, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, the Holy Spirit helps us pray. The Holy Spirit inspires prayer. The Holy Spirit helps us pray when we have no words, and all we have is groaning. All we have is that painful yet hopeful moment. We have in the, in the Holy Spirit a divine intercessor who is with us, who teaches us to pray and prays alongside us. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us and enable us to pray. And sometimes prayer is simply groaning but sometimes we make it more into moaning. And so what does that look like? So Ephesians um, 
6 picks up on this a little bit more. Um, so Paul, again, is talking about, he says in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And he lists all these different bits of armor. Then in verse 18, he says this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So prayer is groaning, but prayer is also spiritual warfare. And prayer is our most powerful weapon, which is why I think the enemy often discourages us from praying. Prayer will accomplish things that we can't do by our own effort or skill. And looking around, some of you are really, really skillful people. Some of you less so, but some of you really skillful people. And sometimes we just, we just work really, really hard. If we can just do it really, really, and I know, because I try to do that with church, if I can just put as much effort in as possible, if I can just use all my skills, and we rely on our skills and our efforts and our accomplishments, and we don't rely on prayer. See, prayer is hard work. Prayer takes practice. And it's in the practice of prayer that we learn to pray. It's not simply by hearing a sermon or doing a course on prayer. You get better at praying by praying. And sermons are good and courses are good. But really, when you want to pray, when you want to get good at prayer, we have to pray. So I want to just take a couple of things out of this. Um, just some, some thoughts that I've got in terms of intercessory prayer, some things that I've, I've learned about what it means to be empowered and enabled to pray. So first of all, intercessory prayer, which is really praying for others. Um, one writer I found really helpful on this is a lady called Ruth Haley Barton. And she describes intercessory prayer as being present to God on another's behalf. So that whole thing of being in God's presence, letting God love you, when you're in that moment, it's as if you're inviting somebody else into that moment. That you're experiencing God's presence. You're experiencing the love of God, the presence of God. And then it's like God's inviting somebody else into that. Would you let them come into your presence, into our presence together right now? You say, yeah, I'd be happy for them to join us. There's incest prayer is being present to God on another's behalf, listening for the prayer of the Holy Spirit that is already being prayed for that person before the throne of grace and being willing to join God in that prayer. She says this, she says, intercessory prayer is more about not knowing than it is about knowing. It's about growing more and more comfortable with the truth that we saw a moment ago, Romans 8, that I do not know how to pray as I ought, for myself or for, any, for anyone else, and accepting the fact that the Holy Spirit is the one who really knows how to pray and is already interceding for that person or that situation before the throne of grace. And we just join in with what the Holy Spirit is already praying. She concludes with this. She says, As I enter into the stillness of true prayer, it is enough to experience my own groaning about the situation or person I'm concerned about 
and to sense the Spirit's groaning on their behalf. So what if it was like that? What if it was like when we're praying, we're asking God, how can I join you in that prayer? To see if there's anything God is inviting you to offer for that person or that situation. Not to force or to push for anything, not to come with a big long list. And if nothing comes, just to continue to rest in God's presence. But maybe say, what if I invite that person into my prayer life right now? And that has changed how I'm praying for people. So rather than having a big long list of all these people I need to pray for, it's saying, this is my relationship with God. This is how I'm experiencing God's presence. And then saying, Holy Spirit, is there somebody else that needs to experience your presence? And then someone will come to mind, and then I'm inviting them into that presence and praying for them in the presence of God and asking God, by the Holy Spirit, what would you pray for them? What are you praying for them? So we're in tune with what God is saying and what God is praying for that person. Secondly, there's listening prayer. See, what if before we launched straight into prayer, we said, Lord, what should I be praying about? Because sometimes we have a list and we might come along with stuff. But what if we said, what should we be asking of you? And then rather than going straight into it, we actually spent some time listening to what the Holy Spirit was saying. What if in our prayer times, we we created a a listening atmosphere? We asked the Holy Spirit some follow-up questions. Like, Holy Spirit, what, what what are you saying to me right now? What would you have me pray? And then what? And then what? And maybe we did that when our, in our times of prayer together, that we had those moments where we're asking really good questions and then reflecting on any words or images or pictures that come to mind. What do we step more and more into listening or contemplative prayer? I'll come back to that a little bit later. And then when we were considering where we should be when we came back after lockdown and we were looking at going back to Sydney Stringer and it didn't seem like that was the right place to go and just again and again things seemed to be closing doors and we said well where is there any it came out of prayer it came out of a time where we were saying Holy Spirit where would you put us where is there a need in our city where would you have us serving a community even if not that many of us meet there and so it came out of knowing that Zia was doing grow kids in this place and just gently pushing that door knowing that the the Ian and the rest of the team were doing the cap money stuff here knowing that Nick and Chris were really involved in getting this place up off the ground in terms of the uh, social supermarket and seeing there's a need here in the north of Coventry and the Holy Spirit just prompting us to step into that and then as we stepped into that, the Holy Spirit just seemed to open door after door after door. They, they changed the trust deed especially for us to meet in here. And it's not as grand and big as maybe I would like, but it seems like this is where the Holy Spirit was putting us. And we've wrestled with this. Well, I've wrestled with probably more than anybody. Um, but this seems to be where God is putting us in this season of ours as a church. 
And it came out of prayer, saying, Holy Spirit, what would you have us do? The other thing is that prayer opens our eyes to see the harvest around us. And it's in prayer, when we're praying with the Holy Spirit, that we get to see where he is moving. See, most followers of Jesus failed to pray because they don't believe that there is a harvest. And Jesus said that there is a harvest. The harvest is right. The harvest is plentiful. Pray that God would send workers, not just somebody else, but be workers as well, into the harvest. And the thing about harvest, um, I was walking along the canal just, just this, actually on Tuesday when it was really, really hot, and the farmers that night before had been harvesting all their crops while it was still hot and, and, uh, and all, well, before it got really hot. And you could smell that fragrance of the harvest. And the, as a farmer, they know when it's the right time. They're looking at the conditions, and it's like, right, now we need to get out there and harvest. Harvest isn't happening all the time. So we pray for timing. We pray to see the seasons. We ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to where the harvest is, but also to see where it is not. And that was part of us moving. It's part of what we're doing in our neighborhoods, where as we're walking around our neighborhoods, saying, Holy Spirit, where would you have us serve? Where would you have us engage? I think there's four key points to this. Firstly, when we pray, we just pray, help me see the people around me whom I should engage with. So whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's in your place of work, whether it's in your family, whether it's at the shops when you're going, walking around, just saying, help me see the people around me whom I should engage with. Who are those people that I need to have a conversation with? And being open to those conversations. Secondly, when we're praying about the harvest, it's help me see the needs of others and recognize how I can bless them. So when you're having a conversation with somebody, listening out to the Holy Spirit, you might get that little nudge, that little prompting by the Holy Spirit saying, there's more going on here than what they're saying. There's more, if if you just ask another simple question, not prying, just a simple question, there's a whole load of stuff there that as a follower of Jesus, you can bless them with. Help me see the needs of others and recognize how I can bless them. Then thirdly, help me see how you are working and how I can join in. We talked about that when we talked about preaching the gospel. What if evangelism was just joining, in, joining God in the conversation that he's already having with somebody? That when we're having a conversation with somebody, we're also having a conversation with the Holy Spirit and saying, what would you have me say? What are you doing in this person's life? Then finally, help me see where the harvest is ready so I can invite people to, to discover you. It's just knowing that moment when somebody is, is in, a, in a, a point where they're open to what Jesus is, is, is bringing to them. They're open to the Holy Spirit. And doesn't, it's, it's not knowing that sales pitch moment. It's just knowing when somebody is open to Jesus. And so when it comes to things like prayer walking, which we've done a fair amount of in our church, and we recommend that you know, everyone gets to do a bit of a, a prayer walk around their neighborhood, you get to see your neighborhood from a different perspective. You also get some exercise. Um, 
So prayer walking is a great way to partner with the Holy Spirit as he opens the hearts of us to our city or to our neighborhood. When we start to prayer walk around our neighborhoods, we get to see something of where the Holy Spirit is groaning for the people that are our neighbors. It brings us into the neighborhoods or areas where we want to see God's work, but also where the Holy Spirit is already working. And so when we pray walk, we pray for God to bless our neighbors, for wisdom for those who are in authority, for people to be saved. For we, we, when we pray walk, we, we open our eyes to see where he is working. And we also pray that, that God would open other people's eyes so they would see Jesus. When we're prayer walking, we're praying, come Holy Spirit. We're walking past people's houses, we're walking past places of business, places of work, schools, saying, Holy Spirit, would you come in that place? Would you um, bless those people that are following you already to be an influence? But also, would you turn people to you? And where I want to land is really, there's the praying for harvest and prayer walking, but there's also prayer for healing. And we are a church that believes in healing. And it might be physical healing. It might be spiritual healing. It might be that you're, you're carrying sin or guilt or shame or brokenness. You're feeling distant from God and there's some spiritual healing that can come. It might be there's some hurt or trauma that you're carrying. I had an incident this week where I parked a car outside someone's house and they were completely irate. There was no way to have any sort of conflict resolution. Um, I'm yet to do my course on conflict resolution, but I know a few things about doing it, having led a church for a while. But there was no way of, of having any conversation. And it's lingered with me. That incident, which was probably only about five minutes of being shouted at and threatened physically, um, it's lingered with me. And you might have moments of that, whether it's some past hurt or trauma or something where, you know, you've been bruised, you've come up against somebody and it lingers. Maybe it's uh, addiction or habits or compulsions. Maybe it's relational healing from hurt, abuse, from unforgiveness. It's amazing how often unforgiveness and poor health are linked together. And maybe it's physical healing. The thing is, we live in a broken world. We live in a world that is groaning. And we're all broken in one way or another. Therefore, all of us need healing, whether we acknowledge it or not. What if we actually turned our eyes upon Jesus? What if we turned to God to receive healing? See, Jesus wants us to man who had been lying paralyzed for 38 years. That's a long time. And he asked the man, would you like to get well? You see, we all need God's healing. I think that's a really important question. Do you want to hold on to that, whatever that is? Or do you want to get well? Are you ready to relinquish your kind of ownership of whatever it is? Or are you wanting to release that and give it back to God? See, we all have nothing really to offer him in return. We need God's healing, but we have nothing to offer him back. It's all grace. It's all love. God loves to pour out his grace. And so when we pray for people, um, 
And you can do this anywhere, whether it's in a shop or at work or whenever's appropriate. Just saying, what do you want Jesus to do for you? And then to listen to the Holy Spirit. And as you're listening to the Holy Spirit, praying, why is this person in this condition? Is it something they've just had an accident? Or is there more going on here? Is there more going on that's, that's emotional or spiritual or demonic? Or is it simply just physical? And then we invite and bless the Holy Spirit. And we say, Holy Spirit, how would you have me pray for this person? See, oftentimes when we pray, we, we pray kind of, God, if it's your will, would you please heal this person? And Jesus never did that. Jesus went straight in there. He just said, he just spoke to the pain. He just spoke to the condition. And he gave his followers, that's you and me, authority to do the things that he did. He also encouraged his followers to lay on hands, to gently just to pray. And there's nothing magical or particularly special, but there is something about touch, appropriate touch, that conveys healing and grace and love. Then as you're praying, and we tend to keep our prayers short because um, people can sometimes get bored, we also keep our eyes open to see what the Holy Spirit's doing on somebody. And we continue to listen and pray and, and we then go back. Maybe say, you know, is there anything else that the Holy Spirit would say to somebody? And then at some point we'll stop praying or saying, has anything changed? You know, if your pain when we started praying was 10, what is it now? Has it changed? And if it's sort of, if they say, well, it's probably about a seven or eight, it's a little bit better, we might think, well, that could be that something's happening, or it could just be a bit of adrenaline or something. But we'll often pray again and say, what is it now? And we always tell people, don't, don't lie to me, don't, don't be nice, don't pretend that it's better, because we want to give glory to God when people are actually healed. And so we've prayed for people and seen pain go from level 10 all the way down to zero. We've seen people, um, as so many, I mean, you've, you've got a book of all the different healings, and I keep forgetting about them. But we've seen people heal. We are a church that believes in healing. We just don't do it as much, as nearly as much as we should. And sometimes we keep it in church when actually those prayers should be out on the streets, praying for our neighbors, saying to people, can I pray for you right now? And then praying, come Holy Spirit and help. So I want to, before we pray for one another, I want to just share just a little bit of a story from uh, our friend, I think I can say that, Pete Gregg, who wrote um, How to Pray. So if you're into books, Nadine, um, how to write a simple guide for normal people so it's a really good book on, on prayer or there's also the course and he says this he says we were praying non-stop so they did this 24-7 prayer thing he says we were praying non-stop because we were desperate to see more people saved more people healed more miracles the activation of hundreds of languishing prophecies he says it was like we were standing on tiptoe trying with all our might to reach a big red switch labeled revival. And they were trying to make it happen. He says they were aiming for the maximum amount of prayer they could possibly achieve. And then he had a conversation over food with a guy called Brennan Manning. 
um, who was a, a Catholic priest who just gently but lovingly just had a little chat with young Pete. And it was a moment where he started to refocus, not on doing all the stuff, but what if prayer time was all about what we sang about, turning our eyes towards Jesus, letting Jesus love us. The prayer time was all about refocusing on Jesus, being in his presence, and then carrying his presence with us as we live out our lives in a broken, hurting, groaning world. What if prayer wasn't just a practice, but prayer was actually a lifestyle? The, the time we spent in prayer was in relationship, in, in that focus of letting God love us, and then we lived that out the other 23 hours of the day. Pete says this, he says, what if we started to become those prayers for 24 hours a day, not just by interceding occasionally for God's kingdom to come, to come out there somewhere on earth as it is in heaven, but by becoming the patch of earth on which it, that's t- heaven, touches down. And that's what I'd like for us as a church, that we come together here on a Sunday then we live this out and that our prayer life is growing, it's flourishing, it's thriving. And the whole thing about what it means to be a thriving church is what we're going to come back to in September. Thanks for tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.